Tonight on The Readout. Now, justice has been delivered, and this terrorist leader is no more. This bill makes it clear the world's leading innovation will happen in America. Today, we received another outstanding jobs report. We're on the cusp of passing the most important step we can pass to help us lower inflation. What a week of contrast. As President Biden was racking up win after win, Republicans were pushing abortion bans, social security cuts, election denial, and watching their midterm prospects begin to fade. And a Texas jury just delivered a massive blow to Alex Jones, ordering the conspiracy theorist to pay more than $45 million in punitive damages to the parents of a first grader killed at Sandy Hook. Also tonight, I'll be joined by Andrew Warren, the democratically elected Florida state attorney who is the victim of a blatant abuse of power by Ron DeSantis, who's trying to suspend him. We begin tonight, however, with a great week for President Biden and Democrats in Congress and frankly for America. One that will be poised to get even better, perhaps. First up, the economy. After months of criticism of President Biden for everything from gas prices to inflation to you name it, today we got proof that his economic policies are working with the latest blockbuster jobs report. In July, job growth soared. U.S. employers added 528,000 employees, smashing expectations. And the unemployment rate is now down to 3.5%, a 50-year low. The job market has now recovered all of its pandemic losses across every sector, from manufacturing to retail. And the president touted the stellar report at the White House in full Biden mode with his signature aviator sunglasses. Today, there are more people working in America than before the pandemic began. In fact, there are more people working in America than any point in American history. And today's report proves make it in America isn't just a slogan. It's my administration. It's a reality. Always does the Biden point. Biden victories, Biden's victory lap is well-deserved since it's not just the jobs report. Gas prices have dropped every single day for seven straight weeks, down from a high of more than $5 in June, which Republicans swore was Biden's fault. Meanwhile, Senate Democrats have sent two major bills for the president's signature, the CHIPS Act to boost American competitiveness in the microchip space and the PACT Act, expanding health care benefits for veterans exposed to toxic burn pits, overcoming completely unnecessary Republican obstruction and gross high-fiving. Senate Democrats are poised to give the president and the party another big win, preparing to work through the weekend to pass their Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, with historic investment to fight climate change and to extend access to Obamacare and to affordable prescription drugs by finally letting Medicare negotiate with drug companies. After clearing a major hurdle, getting Arizona conservative Senator Kirsten Sinema on board, who demanded the preservation of a major tax loophole for extremely rich hedge funders. Assuming it survives the weekend voterama that Republican Lindsey Graham promised to make hell for Democrats. Stay mad, Lindsey. A final vote could come as soon as next week. The very good week began with the announcement of a CIA drone strike that killed al-Qaeda leader Ayman al-Zawahiri in Afghanistan. On Tuesday, Kansas voters handed women and girls a major victory, rejecting a ballot measure that would have allowed lawmakers to ban abortion in the state by stripping women's freedom from the state constitution. That vote sent shockwaves through the Republican Party and has them scrambling to try to backpedal on their extreme agenda. So what else have they been up to this week? After that high-fiving and fist-bumping over temporarily holding up military aid for veterans last week, 
This week, 11 Republicans still voted against it, including Kentucky Senator Rand Paul, who felt the need to also be a jerk about it. The legislation also creates a presumption of service connection for global war on terror veterans for asthma. The CDC estimates that one in 12 people have asthma, which is approximately 25 million Americans. And then there's the right-wing Love Fest CPAC in its second day today. They got a lecture on how to win yesterday from Hungarian autocrat Viktor Orban, an appeal that basically consisted of just be more fascist. Since then, well, it's been about what you'd expect. Over 54 countries have now been taken by the machines or are getting taken by the machines. And you never get to go back. It's like Lincoln said, we're not going to be destroyed from foreign forces coming on in. The militant left in America are the modern day version of book burners. When I said that I'm a Christian nationalist, I have nothing to be ashamed of. And that will make America great again when we lean into biblical principles. It occurs to me that the Biden FBI believes this is a room of dangerous radicals. And you know what? They're right. Was that a tan suit on Ted Cruz? Joining me now is Maria Teresa Kumar, president and CEO of Volta Latino, and Tim Miller, writer at large for The Bulwark and author of Why We Did It, a travel along from the Republican road to hell. Uh, Tim, I have to start with you because it, it feels like sort of the perfect, uh, you know, chef's kiss ending to Republicans' uh, very, very bad week, is Alex Jones. Uh, Alex Jones uh, now been hit with a 45.2 million penalty, and that's just the, um, the, the, the penalty today. He also had been hit uh, with $9 million. So it's over $50 million that he's going to have to fork over to just one of the Sandy Hook families. And I just, I have to play you what Marjorie Taylor Greene said, defending, defending Alex Jones before that verdict came in. Take a look. Somebody like Alex Jones, who who did say some things, but yet he is being politically persecuted right now and being forced to pay out millions and millions of dollars. And and no one no one agrees with what he said. But what we're tired of is the political persecution. Oh, it's the persecution, Tim, of those 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 persecuting families who just got mad because he said their kids didn't exist and didn't die in a massacre. Your thoughts. Man, CPAC always finds new ways to decide that they are the persecuted ones. They are the ones who, you know, society has thrust their our ills upon. Uh, look, Joy, I've got some good news here. Uh, you start with good news about Biden, but the Alex Jones thing, bad things are maybe happening to bad people this week. Uh, this has been nice. You know, we haven't had a lot of that the last seven years, but uh, uh, a terrorist, you know, got to meet his maker. Alex Jones has to pay 45, 49, whatever it ends up being, million uh, to the victims. Hopefully that's not the last uh, one of those. Uh, you know, the, the grand jury seems to be doing more work looking into Trump and his associates. Uh, I think that in addition to the very tangible good news, I think that that we can all take a little bit of joy out of people getting their comeuppance after a, a long time of them of them unfortunately avoiding it. No, absolutely. And MTK, I have to say, listen, we, there was an oath, uh, a three percenter who got seven years. I thought it was probably too long. He didn't get the terrorism enhancement. Prosecutors had asked for 15. But we are starting to see the law of consequences kick in. And I, I think that is nowhere more true than in Kansas, where, you know, the arrogance of Alito going out to Rome to applaud himself. I mean, he's like this close to doing rallies like Trump to sort of get himself to be more lauded and famous. After that, Kansas literally slapped down 
this attempt to strip abortion rights in that state. So it does feel like Tim is right, that there's a momentum now toward the arc of the moral universe actually starting to bend toward justice. So before I get into that, you should, when you pan to both our faces after we saw the CPAC, we could, it was both, we couldn't believe it. Like, is this real or SNL, Joy? I mean, I have to acknowledge <laughs> that both our faces were like, oh my God. So your producers are doing an excellent job cutting those clips because that was amazing. Uh, that could have been the mic drop, Joy, for the evening, quite frankly. Yeah, but indeed. no, but I think what we're seeing is that when you look at the t- what happened in Kansas, it wasn't just that Democrats came out. Independents who were not registered in either party came out specifically just to vote on that issue. Yeah. And then you saw a ton of Republicans that voted for the Republican Party for their candidates and still voted against the measure. So this is what the Republicans don't want. They don't want a reason to rile up the American people and recognize for them to recognize that freedom is on the ballot in November. And one of the states that I'm looking at very closely right now as a result of what happened in Kansas is Texas. Mm. Trump won Kansas by 14 points. He won Texas by four points. And you have Greg Abbott, who is on the ballot, who has personally banned abortions in Texas and has personally tried to obscure the access to the voting booth and who has tried to do exactly what the Democrats are winning on right now. He tries to say that climate change isn't real. He tries to make sure that everybody has access to their guns without any penalty. And they are going to have a moment of reckoning. I think it's almost fitting that CPAC is being t- is taking place in Texas because the, the roosters are coming home. And I think they're going to have a really hard time maintaining that. I think Texas is going to be a lot closer than the Republicans ever wanted it to be. Yeah, I mean, Tim, you know, I feel like, you know, having Victor Orban there was almost sort of poetic, too. I mean, maybe the people there don't understand this, but they could have Googled this. I mean, abortion is actually legal in Hungary. And you can actually get an abortion up to the 24th week if there's a fetal anomaly. 24 weeks. You couldn't do that in Texas, but you could do it there. And the way that they're encouraging more uh, of the of the European babies, because he only wants the European ones, right? Not the not the not the race mixed ones, is they they basically pay women to have kids. If you have more than four kids, you just get money. You get you get you don't pay taxes. So it's like like positive incentives. The things he's doing aside from the, the autocratic stuff is not exactly what they think he's doing, right? And so there's that. And then you've got all of these sort of things they've got to keep in their heads at the same time. Carrie Lake has to say, there's fraud and this election was completely not valid, except I won, so it's valid now. Okay, so the late votes coming in now are cool now. It's okay if the absentee ballots help you. And if the, you know, if there if the three different kinds of elections help you, how do they keep all of this in their heads at the same time and try to survive getting rid of Roe? Well, I think that they all keep it all in their heads at the same time because they're not actually trying to be consistent or care about policy. I, this is the insight into the crowd at CPAC and really most of the Republican base. Right? Like They don't have specific policies that they are hoping that the government gives them. They are looking for leaders to punish their enemies. Like That yeah. is what is the motivating base of the Republican, uh, uh, the motivating uh, uh, emotion of the Republican base right now. And so that's what Orban is, right? Orban triggers the media and he triggers people who, you know, think think race mixing is okay. And, you know, he triggers all the other people that they hate. And and that is why they like Viktor Orban. They, they don't actually know what the policies are in Hungary or, you know, appreciate the specific detailed policies in Hungary. And so I, I think that that is where potentially some Republicans, I think, are gettable, right? Because that base makes up a big portion of the Republican Party. They control the party, no doubt. But what we 
saw in Kansas is that there are Republican voters that don't want to go all the way down the rabbit hole on all these extremes. Uh, you know, even some even pro-life voters are like, I'm pro-life, but the hungry rules sound reasonable to me. Right. Like uh, <laughs> right. I'm pro-life, but I think there should be exceptions. I don't want there to be bounties on women's head at four weeks. You know, I don't I don't want the, uh, uh, like in Missouri, a, a doctor to have to call a government politburo before they can operate <laughs> on a woman whose health or like this is not like that is not a popular position, even among some people, uh, a minority maybe, but some people that voted for Donald Trump. And I think those folks are gettable. And I think that is what is kind of working right now for the Democrats after a tough you know, uh, uh, period of news uh, earlier in the year. I, I think that's why you're starting to see these numbers change. Well, and, and I think, you know, Maria Teresa, the, 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 the challenge with setting your agenda for how you're going to run your election in like May is that you really don't know what things are going to look like in November. And Republicans made a decision that their whole election was going to be crime, gas prices and inflation. Well, gas prices are down and they're just going to keep going down. They're usually higher in the summer than they are in other parts of the year. Right. So they're going to just keep going in that direction. There's an Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 that no Republicans are going to vote for. If your whole thing is inflation and you all vote against the inflation bill, kind of hard to say that's your issue. Biden then gets the credit for doing the thing to stop inflation. He gets to be the empathetic guy. And then to your point on abortion, you start to cross outside the base. Because if you're saying you're going to arrest people in Texas, you mean you're going to arrest brown and black people, right? You, you're telling the base of people you that they think they can attract Latino voters based on some of the conservative issues. They ain't going to do it if they're talking about putting bounties on them. Well, and we know for and what we know, Joy, is that in Texas, Ruby Red, Texas, 68 percent of Latinos believe in abortion access. And we're talking about cross-generation. We're not even talking about when you look at the younger voter, where it's the biggest opportunity uh, among the Democrats, that number even skyrockets. But something that you just mentioned, this is what I think the Inflation Reduction Bill does so beautifully. It deals with climate. So we're going to have the biggest climate investment in our nation's history that will help be a leader worldwide. So that helps young voters because they've been mm-hmm. they've been tracking the administration and holding them to account. It also provides for with Medicare prescription drug negotiations. Yeah. That's going to get young, older voters. And then you have the independence when you start talking about the importance of making sure that you're actually tackling inflation. In one bill, full fall swoop, he was able to tackle the three pillars of government of you know of the of the base that people thought that he couldn't thread. And so I do think that going into the fall, there is absolutely wind on the president's back and on the Democrats, because it's not just what they're able to deliver, but it's also for everything that the Republicans are against. And the bottom line is, you know, in general, Republicans get voted for for themes and memes. Democrats get voted on for policy wins because it's just the way that the parties are perceived. And it's kind of the way they are. Uh, I wish we had more time. Tom, sorry, Tim, you're cutting off on time, but we're done. Uh, Have a great weekend. Maria Maria Teresa Kumar, Tim Miller up next on the readout. The -the over-the-top power trip by Ron DeSantis punishing a democratically elected official for speaking his mind. That official, state attorney Andrew Warren, joins me next. The readout continues after this. Being governor comes with a lot of demands, requiring you to focus your time, attention, and effort on the issues most pressing to the people of your state. Unless, of course, you are Supreme Chairman, oh, I'm sorry, I mean, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Here's what he's been focused on recently. He's using a 75-year-old court ruling to go after a single Miami restaurant for hosting a drag show. 
He is agitated about the decision by other states to declare monkeypox a public health emergency. Forget the fact that it seems he's trying to rerun his COVID playbook. Florida has the third highest number of monkeypox cases in the U.S., according to the CDC. And while Florida is facing a 9,000 teacher shortage going into this school year, he's busy sending teachers to a Christian nationalist indoctrination camp to learn how to teach his version of patriotic history that downplays issues of race and slavery. Putting myself in the shoes of a first or second year teacher, seeing this slide, it's very easy to say that um, George Washington and, and TJ were both very uh, anti-slavery. You know, they, they did everything they could, um, notwithstanding the fact they both owned slaves. TJ being Thomas Jefferson. And now DeSantis is suspending the top prosecutor from Tampa, Andrew Warren, who was elected to the position not once, but twice for signing on to letters with prosecutors across the country saying they won't use their offices to pursue criminal cases against seekers or providers of abortion or gender transition treatments. Now, mind you, no cases have been brought to his office on either matter. And Florida has not even enacted laws criminalizing gender transition treatments for minors. And joining me now is the newly suspended Hillsborough County State Attorney, Andrew Warren. Uh, I'm excited to talk with you. I've been getting so many texts from Florida friends about what's happened to you. Um, and so I'm glad that you were available today. I want to play what Governor DeSantis said yesterday about suspending you. When you flagrantly violate your oath of office, when you make yourself above the law, uh, you have violated your duty, uh, you have neglected your duty, and you are displaying a lack of competence uh, to be able to perform those duties. What do you think this is about? Because you, you, you've broken no laws, you've not gotten any prosecutions that you've declined to do, you just signed on to a letter. What do you think this is about? This is about the, the governor running for president. This is political theater, plain and simple. And anyone who cares about democracy and free speech should be scared by this. I mean, this is a core principle of our democracy that the voters get to decide who their elected officials are. Even my eight-year-old understands that. It's just, this is how democracy works. Do you think that, so you think this is theater? You think that he's playing for an audience in like Iowa and then potential caucuses and he's playing for basically for Fox News and for a Republican audience? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at what he said, he's mischaracterizing and lying what things that I've done, things that I've said. This isn't about what I've done as state attorney. This is about what I've said. And it's about him guessing about things that I may do in the future, as you pointed out, Joy, for cases that even haven't come before me yet. Let me let me go through this just a moment, because we know that on the gender affirming care side, the Florida Board of Medicine, who are all appointed by DeSantis, they just voted today to accept the state's petition to ban and restrict gender affirming care in the state. It's it has not gone to rulemaking. So it, it's not a law yet. It's just a recommendation from the Florida Board of Medicine. So there's no law that you have refused to indict on, right? That's right. So not only have no cases come before me about gender affirming health care, there's no law in place. I mean, this is Orwellian thought police where I'm being punished for not enforcing a law that doesn't even exist yet. It's hard to fathom how this happens in our country. 
And when it comes to abortion, abortion has a, there's a 15 week ban. But is there a law in place that says anyone, you know, that, have you heard of or do you know of a case where there's a potential prosecution that could come before you of a doctor who performed an abortion after 15 weeks? Is there a prosecution even pending anywhere on the docket? No, no, not at all. And in fact, when, when I signed on to that letter, and let's be clear. That letter was a value statement expressing my opposition to laws that were violating people's constitutional rights. But at the time I signed on to it, Roe v. Wade was still the law of the land. So a 15-week ban was unconstitutional under federal law. And it's currently unconstitutional under state law in Florida because there's a right to privacy in our constitution. And it's not just me saying that. The first court to hear the issue said that. So I'm being punished for enforcing a law that doesn't exist on transgender healthcare. I'm being punished for enforcing an unconstitutional law that hasn't even come before me yet. Again, this is political theater. This is because the president is trying to outflank, uh, excuse me, the governor is trying to outflank President Trump in his presidential aspirations. Let's go through some of the other bills because, you know, you're talking about thought policing. You've been vocal in opposing some of the other things DeSantis has done. He, he signed this anti-riot bill in the wake of the George Floyd protest that grants civil immunity to drivers who hit protesters with their car and protects police budgets from being cut no matter what. Um, there's also a bill that he signed creating one of the nation's only election police units that friends of mine who work on elections down there say they are very concerned will be used to sick a police agency on voters of color. You've been vocal about that. Do you believe that this is overall just saying no one in Florida who is elected or, or appointed is allowed to have any thought that Ron DeSantis disagrees with? Well, that's certainly part of it, Joy. I mean, elected officials in Florida should be worried and careful about what they say now, because if you say something that the governor doesn't agree with or doesn't like, you can be suspended or punished or who knows what, arrested. But it's more than that. The governor and any elected leader is supposed to be in office to solve problems, to make our community and our state and our country better. And instead, this governor is inventing problems. He's creating fake solutions to imaginary problems so that he can go add it to his stump speech when he runs for his next office. That's the real shame of all of this. Very quickly, do you have any recourse? Well, I was, this happened so fast, I was blindsided, escorted out of my office by an armed deputy with no notice, no chance wow. to even look at the order. So we're going to fight this. And we're going to fight this vigorously, but we're exploring our legal options right now. And I'm sure your constituents would appreciate that since they elected you twice. Uh, State Attorney Andrew Warren, thank twice you, sir, indeed. very much. Appreciate thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And you too. Still ahead. Another big win for the Biden agenda as Senator Kirsten Sinema agrees to support a major climate and economy bill as long as it includes a big old fat tax break for the wealthy. Of course. We'll be right back. Okay, to top off what has already been a great week for President Biden, the Senate is now just days away from passing the Inflation Reduction Act with support from all 50 Democrats and notably zero Republicans. Senator Kirsten Sinema finally gave the bill a thumbs up, but only after they agreed to cut out the carried interest loophole, a tax policy that would have made some of the wealthiest investors pay their fair share. Now, it's unclear why, in a bill focused on tackling climate change, lowering prescription drug prices and helping the economy, the carried interest loophole was the Arizona senator's hill to die on. 
But in Washington, this is how the sausage is made. Meantime, Democrats appear to have ducked, at least for now, a pair of policing bills that would have sent billions of dollars in funding to police departments and added tens of thousands of new officers nationwide. Basically, the 1994 crime bill 2.0. Weirdly enough, at a time when the nation is still grappling with the fact that 376 officers and millions in police funding did nothing to save 17 fourth graders and two teachers in Uvalde, Texas, along with other evidence that more police do not equal less crime, but could definitely mean more negative interactions and potentially dead motorists of color. Despite the potentially devastating impact on their voting base, Democratic leadership did try to push the police funding bills through the House before the August recess, bypassing the usual committee and debate process by attaching them to the very popular assault weapons ban until progressives successfully convinced them to separate it out. And we are joined now by one of those progressives, Congressman Jamal Bowman, Democrat from New York. Congressman, thank you for being here. And, and, and I'm glad you're here because I think one of the things that has frustrated a lot of um, Democratic voters, people who voted for Democrats, um, is that it felt like, well, nothing ever happens. But I would always say to people, well, a lot happens in the House. It just doesn't go through the Senate. This is a case where the things that were happening were about the House. The crime bill was coming from the House. How did that happen at a time when Democrats have so much momentum? How did that end up being on the agenda? You know, the fear mongering by Republicans is very effective and they have a national coordinated campaign of fear that continues to tell all of Americans that Democrats want to defund the police, Democrats are not in support of police, and we need more police in our communities to make our communities safer. When the reality is, Democrats have actually increased funding for police over the last two years, number one. Number two, we need to have an honest, holistic conversation about what public safety is all about. Yes, the people in my uh, district and throughout the country support law enforcement, absolutely. But we also have to have a very public conversation about accountability. George Floyd, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, passed the House well over a year ago and has been sitting in the Senate and is pretty much dead in the Senate ever since. We need to have a public, honest conversation about public safety in our country. What is a research-based approach to public safety? And for these two bills to try to be forced through the House just blew me away. I mean, I know I haven't been there that long, but I've introduced 43 bills myself. When you introduce a bill, it goes to committee. The chair of that committee then decides to have a markup, then decides to have hearings. There were no hearings, no markups, no anything, and they just wanted us. I mean, at one point, they tried to bring the bills to the floor for a voice vote, which is pretty much yay or nay, and we're done with it. That is not what the American people want. We want safety, but we want accountability, and we want research-based approaches that deal with issues like poverty and the social determinants of public safety, which we're not talking nearly enough about. And you could have, and just to be clear for for folks to understand, we're getting a little nerdy here with y'all, but if there's a committee process, then you do get to have that conversation, right? You get to have that drawn out conversation because that means you call hearings, you can call witnesses, and you could actually have that. I mean, you could call Uvalde parents. You could call people from, you know, the the top supermarket that survived that, and you could have a holistic, and you could call Capitol Police. Because let's just be clear, there were Capitol Police that were fighting for their lives against other police. Pennsylvania sent more police that were part of the insurrection than any state, like you could have those conversations, right? If you had a committee vote. 
if you have a committee, if it goes through the process of markup in the committee, it becomes a public conversation and it becomes a process of truth and potential risk reconciliation with regard to policing, public safety and accountability in our country. There are people, particularly people in communities of color and communities that have been historically harmed by police that are wondering what are the next steps with George Floyd? And we were just looking to push forward these bills for police funding without any conversations on accountability, without any guardrails to determine how do we recruit, retain, train and keep the best police and support the best police while holding the yeah. others accountable. We just got indictments on Breonna Taylor two years after the fact. We got yeah. to talk about no knock wars, chokeholds and many other issues related to public safety. And again, have honest, very public conversations. And the other piece is that, you know, Democrats are actually having some momentum. We're just to put up a few of the things that they've been able to pass. We've talked about a little bit early in the show. I mean, the CHIPS Act, the PACT Act, the infrastructure bill, a gun safety bill, which was actually, you know, the first sort of gun safety measure since Biden was a senator. Um, that was in the original crime bill. Um, the American Rescue Plan, you can keep going on and, and on and on. Like, Democrats actually have a portfolio now to run on. No, I mean, is that the conversation that you guys are now having, that it actually is, you know, the pundit class declared the Democrats DOA in terms of the House and Senate. That that isn't true anymore, right? I mean, Democrats are killing the game right now. I mean, we, we passed an assault weapons ban in the House last week. The chip sack is going to be huge because now we're going to start manufacturing chips again here in our country and, and re-establishing our, ourselves as a leader in that industry. I have five amendments to that bill, five amendments to that bill that focuses on worker co-ops, employee uh, ownership, equity, and K-12 STEM education that are going to be mm. a game, game changer for generations to come. And now we have finally uh, Senators Cinema uh, and Manchin on board with a reconciliation bill that makes historic investments in climate, brings down prescription drug costs, uh, holds corporations accountable with a 15% tax. There's a lot to celebrate, and we have a lot of momentum going into the midterms. Why disrupt that? by dividing the caucus because of procedural flaws and, in my opinion, egregious governance by pushing forward bills that do not allow the public to listen in and learn and engage in the process of public safety. Yeah, I think after the recess or we can have a whole conversation about policing. But, you know, y'all, Democrats are, are winning. So, you know, listen, I'm not an advice. I don't I can't tell you all what to do, but it does feel like you guys have some mo. And it, it's interesting that anyone would want to disrupt it. Congressman Jamal Bowman. Thank you very much. Have a great weekend. Appreciate you. And who won the week is still ahead. But first, the reversal of Roe v. Wade has led to the airing of many Republicans really extreme views on abortion. You want to force a 14-year-old to carry her uncle's baby to term? Really? We'll be right back. Do you have any guidance as to how I would talk to my family or my young children about what I'm experiencing as I'm going through extreme trauma leading up to um, an, a, a delivery of a dead infant that they're, they're seeing me go through this pregnancy? Can well. you... I would simply say this, I, I don't think any of us uh, are guaranteed tomorrow. All of us must accept uh, death as a consequence of life itself. Um, that was an Indiana Republican pushing an amendment that would require mothers to carry fetuses with no chance of survival to term because all of us must accept death like in carrying a corpse inside you and delivering it?
That amendment to Indiana's already draconian abortion bill failed, thankfully. But this guy is far from the only Republican talking like this. And this crowd will have a huge influence on national politics if they win in November. Take Tudor Dixon, running for governor of Michigan against Gretchen Whitmer, who said this about a theoretical 14-year-old incest victim. The question would be like a 14-year-old who, let's say, is a victim of abuse by an uncle. Yeah. You're, you're Perfect saying, example. You're saying that. Do you, okay. Yes or no? But I will listen to but yes or no and then give me the Because answer. I know people who are the product. I'd like this a life for me. Well, she says that this was taken out of context and that she was talking about parental consent. Okay. Arizona State candidate, Senate candidate, Arizona Senate candidate Blake Masters has referred to abortion as genocide and called for a federal personhood law, along with overturning the right to access birth control. Pennsylvania gubernatorial candidate and Christian nationalist Doug Mastriano has said banning abortion is his number one issue and has compared abortion to the Holocaust multiple times, including sharing this abhorrent cartoon of the Holocaust and Stalin bowing down to Roe v. Wade. You can't make this up. And we also cannot forget Georgia Senate candidate Herschel Walker, who has said he is anti-abortion from the womb to the tomb. Wait a minute. Can the dead be aborted? Join me now. Joan Walsh, national affairs correspondent for The Nation, and David Korn, Washington bureau chief for Mother Jones and author of American Psychosis, an historical investigation of how the Republican Party went crazy, which comes out next month. And not a moment too soon, David. I guess since you have that title... I got to go to you first. You know, Republicans are now trying to run the other way from this nuttery <laughs> and say, oh, no, 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 wait a minute. Hold on. We actually are for exceptions and we're actually really reasonable and we think mothers are great. Like they're trying to do it, but they're already on record saying the things. Your thoughts. And a lot of them are not running away, as you just saw in those clips. In the state level, a lot of Republicans are backing abortion bans with no exceptions or even the most limited of, ex of exceptions. And I have a theory here, and I wonder what you think about this. Maybe it's because of the book I have coming out. But I think after January 6th, after Donald Trump in a way, got away with it, right? He was not impeached. He still remains, pre you know, the leader of the Republican Party. Good chance to be its nominee in 2024. After mounting a coup and then inciting a riot, it looks to me like the Republican Party said, all bets are off. We can be as, as extreme as we want to be. We can accuse a Supreme Court nominee of being soft and pedophiles. We can, you know, increased gun rights, even in the, in, the, in the face of this increasing gun violence. And on abortion, we can go for what we've always really wanted, outright bans national. We have several bills pending, already, already introduced by Republicans in the House, to essentially ban abortion nationwide. They're just waiting to get in there after the midterms. So I think the party has felt kind of un unencumbered, unbounded, after looking at what happened after the post-election period, I mean, if you can get away with a big lie that Trump has gotten away with, why not try to get rid of Social Security, get rid of abortion, do everything that they've always wanted to do, but have felt somewhat restrained from doing? Well, no, I think there is something to that. Uh, and Joan, it, uh, it, I think it's also that they only really listen to each other. They're all, they all have Fox News piping in at them day, day and night. And they think that's the world, right? It's like people who think Twitter is the world. Like Twitter's not the world. Twitter is a few, you know, is a portion of the world. But people who start, they, I think they've started to believe their own hype and to start to think that the things they're doing are popular. And they think that, oh, people want this. I mean, Alito literally went on an international road show to sort of pat himself on the back and be patted on the back. They think this is awesome. And then when people actually vote and say, 
hell no, then they freak out. Joe. Uh, well, if you're asking yeah. me, I mean, it, it seems oh, wait, like. Right. No, I, that's I right. And I think the, and, you know. You, I'm sorry, sorry. Go ahead, Joe. <laughs> Could I talk? Um, yeah. <laughs> they, 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 they have Kansas as an example, and some people are kind of running scared after Kansas. But then you've got Indiana, which is such a laboratory of insanity, Joy. And I wrote about it last week. I mean, they actually don't seem to even know how our bodies work. Uh, one of them was complaining, oh, this is so granular. We weren't prepared for this. They don't understand women. They don't care about women. And the notion that you would just deliver a dead baby because death happens is so cruel and misogynistic because that particular kind of death doesn't happen to men. So they don't understand ectopic pregnancy. They don't understand what it means to be having a miscarriage and need help from a doctor to expel, you know, what's going on. They don't understand any of it. And if they do understand it, even a teeny bit, they don't care. Well, I mean, there, there was one guy we talked about on the show earlier that thought that the stomach was connected to the uterus. They thought the stomach was connected. I mean, they don't even know basic anatomy. They're, they're, to stay with you for a second, I mean, you have an anti-abortion activist named Jana Pinson who said a lot of 13-year-olds do a phenomenal job as mothers. Like, they actually don't seem to get it. Um, I want to stay with you for a moment because you did write another book with a great title, What's the Matter with White People, where you talk about the ways in which the right has turned against the, the, the FDR New Deal. Well, now you have Ron Johnson saying, let's make, let, let's, let's plan. This is Ron Johnson on Social Security. Yeah. Social Security and Medicare, if, if you qualify for the entitlement, you just get it no matter what the cost. And our problem in this country is that more than 70% of our federal budget, of our federal spending, is all mandatory spending. It's on automatic pilot. It, it never, you just don't do proper oversight. You don't get in there and fix the programs going bankrupt. It's just on automatic pilot. What we ought to be doing is we ought to turn everything into discretionary spending. So it's all evaluated so that we, we can fix problems or fix programs that are broken. Joan, I mean, they, they were letting their freak flag fly if they think that any Americans want Social Security to become a discretionary spending program that has to be authorized again every couple of years. But they're saying we'll it. figure it out. Years. We'll cut it. We might have to cut it. We will never add to the joy. Yeah, no, it's crazy. And when you look back at, you know, when I wrote about white people, what's the matter with them? The Social Security and Medicare have always been kind of tangentially on the table. They've, they've tried to cut them, but the backlash from white seniors in particular, they are a protected class. So I don't know, people say Ron Johnson is the stupidest man in the Senate. I think he has a lot of competition. Some people he say he doesn't even want to win. He's running such a terrible campaign and that is the stupidest thing we've heard said by a Republican in a long time. You and know, Meanwhile, David Korn, back to you on This is the Voice of Reason now. Here's Dick Cheney. I think we can play a little of it. We might not be able to play it all. In our nation's 246-year history, there has never been an individual who is a greater threat to our republic than Donald Trump. He tried to steal the last election using lies and violence to keep himself in power after the voters had rejected him. He is a coward. A real man wouldn't lie to his supporters. He lost his election, and he lost big. I know it, he knows it, and deep down, I think most Republicans know it. Lynn and I are so proud of Liz for standing up for the truth doing what's right, honoring her oath to the Constitution. David, I've described this as Sauron fighting Sauron in Lord of the Rings. Your thoughts? 
Well, I thought of it as Frankenstein versus Dracula or Godzilla versus King Kong. <laughs> Very hard to know who to root for in Donald Trump versus Dick Cheney. But I, I do believe in redemption. I know you do, too. And so uh, Dick Cheney is on the side of democracy now when he wasn't in power. <laughs> that is a good thing. And we should salute that. Until there's another war he could profit off of, fine. Uh, Joan and David are going to stay with us because they're going to play Who on the Week right after this break. (laughs) TGIF, everybody. We made it to the end of a very busy week, which means it is time to play our favorite game. Ah, yes. Who won the week? Back with me, Joan Walsh and David Korn. Joan Walsh, ladies first. Who won the week? You set it up with the whole show, Joy. It is Joe Biden, without a doubt. I mean, it's all the accomplishments that you mentioned. Uh, It's the great jobs report today. It's 50 days of uh, gas prices falling. Uh, And if if he pulls off this compromise with Manchin and Sinem and we get major climate investment, that's a miracle. And maybe it'll shut people up who've been saying he shouldn't run in 2024, because that's crazy. That's crazy talk right now. Absolutely. And I, I remember the same talk was made about President Obama. They're like, he shouldn't run for re-election. They always say that about every uh, Democratic president. Uh, so I agree with you. It was a big week for Biden. All right, David Corn, your thoughts on who won the week? Scarlett Lewis and Neil Heslin. These are the two Sandy Hook parents who won nearly $50 million in those damages against conspiracy theorist Alex Jones. And what did they show us? They showed us that you can beat back the disinformation warfare of Jones and other people with a very simple element, the truth. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? People forget this guy is not just another conspiracy theorist. He's like the uber conspiracy theorist. He's been doing bad stuff for a long time and was involved in January 6th. All right. My choice for who won the week. It is a state. What's the matter with Kansas? Not a damn thing. Kansas won the week. They beat back this draconian attempt to rewrite the state constitution to take away women's liberty, women's freedoms. The celebration, we're going to play a little bit of that celebration after Kansas voters and not just Democrats, Democrats, Republicans and independents got together to take down this law. Sorry, Alito, you had a bad week because they had a good one. Joan Walsh, David Korn, thank you both very much. That is tonight's readout. Happy weekend.